This is a Toronto Public Library broadcast. Welcome to Live Mike, the best of TPL conversations. Today's episode features a live conversation with three Indigenous artists and their experiences competing in Canada Reads, one of Canada's biggest book contests. With Canada Reads host Ali Hassan, the writers weigh in on some of the ways Indigenous artists are sometimes challenged by readers, letting go of their works once they are part of the public consciousness, and how they collaborated with their celebrity defenders. Julie Black, Sherry Dimeline's Marrow Thieves, Candy Palmiter, Katarina Vermet's The Break, and Bruce Poon Tip, Tracy Lindbergh's Birdie. As we join the conversation, Ali asks about a tweet that Sherry Dimeline posted months earlier about wanting to be in the same room talking to Vermet and Lindbergh, the genesis of this event, which was recorded at the Toronto Reference Library in October 2018. You made this happen. You can do that. That's absolutely, you're right. Well, so Tracy, let's start with you. This, the tweet that you sent months ago, can you talk about the motivation for that? Well, as all tweets emanate from a place of love and grandeur, <laughs> that's where this came from. That's why Twitter is such a healthy place, <laughs> notoriously, of course. As I keep telling my therapist. <laughs> I think that there is a certain sense to when you read Katharina's work, when you read Cherie's work, you think that should win. And so when they don't win, there's a part of me that says there's something structurally or institutionally or universally wrong with this and the way that it's proceeding. And I too have called uh, Candoreed's survivor for Hmm. smart people. (laughs) So I get the game show approach to it and I know that there's a lot of banter and to and fro with it. But I also think that there's a real serious conversation or a subtext that isn't being spoken about gender, race, sexuality, orientation that doesn't really make make it onto the stage sometimes. And I say that as somebody who's never actually watched Canada Reads. (laughs) So I tell you that's because I'm too scared to do it. But that when I have listened to pieces of it, when I have watched uh, people go through it, I keep thinking... There's, there's so much texture, there's so much richness in these stories. These pieces, when I've traveled, people say, that's the first time I've ever seen myself on the page. Mm. And I think that the correlate between that's the first time I've ever seen myself on the page and see you, Indigenous woman writer, is a link that I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. All right, well, mm-hmm. we're, this is what we're here for. This will, this oh, will happen. I'm uh, done now. I'm that's just, it? You got it all out? <laughs> I'm more of an ideas gal than so, uh, yeah. <laughs> an idea gal. Traveled quite away for a three-minute uh, monologue, but uh, since they're here and since we're here, uh, why don't we keep it rolling? I wanted to get your thoughts on that tweet as well, Cherie and Katharina, mm-hmm. when, you, when you read that tweet. Uh, you were tagged in it, so I imagine it caught your eye. It sure did. And I, I mean, I listen to Tracy all the time uh, anyways, regardless, she's brilliant, so... Uh, even tweets, and if I know they're going to be funny or angry or about gluten, I'm on it. Mm. Um, so, you know, it was interesting because going through the experience of Canada Reads, it's largely positive. Like, like make no mistake about it, it, it impacts sales and the people who get your book in a phenomenal way, in a way that, uh, you know, other awards don't have that reach. Um, but there was this, this subtext that we weren't really talking about, and it was, I mean, it came out, I, obviously, uh, you know, my book was defended brilliantly by Julie Black, uh, and she forced a lot of those issues, you know, to the front. I mean, you were there. You might, you might remember the, uh, 
the issues that came I up. was this close. I was, there, I was very much there. Yeah, no, absolutely. But it was the issue of, you know, let's, you we're talking about Indigenous work and it's always seen as, uh, what was it, too dark, too divisive. And like, to think about how that feels for us, right? We're writing about our families, we're writing about uh, our history, we're writing about our realities, our relations our lives and to hear that, you know, Canada doesn't want to hear it because it's too depressing. Well, you know, you can imagine the impact that that has in a community. So when Tracy said, you know, and Tracy and I talked previous and, and Katerina as well about the fact that, you know, you, you have to remove yourself a bit because you're putting all your relations into your work and it's going to be dissected through a specific lens. And so you, at a certain point you have to take a step back or it'll really break your heart. Mm. No, absolutely. Katharina, can I just ask you to weigh in on that, uh, your reaction to that tweet when you first saw it too? And... I just wanted to hang out with them. Yeah. Well. <laughs> we can talk about anything. We can spill some tea and eat some popcorn. It'll be great. Um, it's always a nice feeling to think that your experience is not, you're not alone in mm. that experience. Um, like you guys, I think my experience with Canada Reads was largely positive. It's kind of this amazing thing to happen it's very surreal to have your your book out there in the world and then to be on this celebrated canadian reality tv survivor which by the way i don't know what the world thinks of us that one of our big reality tv shows is a bunch of celebrities <laughs> fighting about books <laughs> it's, well, weird. it's a it's a good thing though i mean it's uh... And, it's a, and I, don't, I don't think Canada Reads people will, will admit this, but I feel like PBS sort of uh, heavily borrowed the same uh, <laughs> format. So it's, yeah. uh, it's something that's being, uh, you know, celebrated and, and, and modeled. And, yeah. uh, and I'm glad it's out there in the world. Like, I think it's, it's really, I still think it's really bizarre um, to have books compete against each other. But, you know, that's the reality of publishing as an industry anyway. Um, mm -hmm. So it's a really bizarre thing. Um, and I understand it's a reality TV show and there's part of, people are making arguments and making this debate and I just felt that the arguments around, around my book in particular were that it was inaccessible to a white male um, and that they felt that because I was talking about, or the book was, was discussing um, violence that it was somehow alienating men in general, um, which was the furthest thing from my intent. Um, and, I, and I've been at this a long time, and I've, I've been, you know, in, in school for writing a lot longer than I've actually been writing. Um, so I'm used to my work being dissected. I'm, I'm pretty, I have a pretty thick skin, but it felt very pointed in a way that, um, that, really, that really shook me. Mm. Yeah. Well, and it's such an odd thing, too, right, that, that we're being told it's inaccessible, like, to say for the white male. Because God knows there's no literature out there for white men. Yes. <laughs> I think, sorry. Oh, no, I was just saying it was a really bizarre argument. Like, I, I don't know many work that actually I feel acknowledged by. I feel right. centered in. Yeah. So it's, it's a really weird argument to make. 1974 is calling for somebody if they could pick up that, uh, <laughs> that old ring and uh, maybe excuse themselves. <laughs> Uh, I wanted to know about your, your relationships. I, in the two years that I've hosted this show, that is something that is really, really fascinating for me to watch, the relationship between uh, the book's defender. The, uh, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming most people 
know how Canada Reads works, so you know that there are five celebrities, Canadian celebrities, who will, um, you know, basically defend, uh, champion one book and say that this is the book all of Canada should read. And, and these three, all, this is all, I, this, everybody knows this, right? If you don't uh, speak to your neighbor and they'll uh, explain it in more detail. Um, but then, call you know, there's... Call 1974. What, what's that? Call 1974 <laughs> yeah. and ask them for the <laughs> uh, So, I, you know, the, the, the often, more often than not, the author and the person championing the book forge a, a, a relationship. Uh, Tracy, you have a very interesting relationship with Bruce Puntip, who... Uh, defended your book. I watched a video of... Uh, anyway, you can maybe talk a little bit more about that. It's, it was sure. very interesting to watch. On the first day that we met, they, um, everybody congregates in Toronto and you sit down, or we did, sat down all the authors and the defenders for the first time. And while we're sitting there, Bruce Puntiff says to me, we're going to win this, because, <laughs> because Bruce wins things. And I said, I find that particularly difficult to believe. <laughs> he said, the moment that Canada is ready for a book about intergenerational sexual assault and healing as a mass product, I said, that would be a victory of some kind, but I don't yeah. think it's going to happen here. But in the conversation, he kept asking me questions that I, I thought, well, this is, these are the questions that Canadians ask me when I go out into the world. These are like specific, what does the owl represent? What does this? And I said to him, these are things that I learned from other people. I think you should come and meet those other people. And so he came to Kelly Lake. And I also, one of the things that I was thinking when I was going to invite him was that for him to understand what happens in an indigenous woman's kitchen, mm -hmm. that he actually had to learn how we talked in a kitchen. So he came to our kitchen. He came to our kitchen, he came to our community center, he came to our ceremony with us as well. There's two stories that I love about it and one that I love about Bruce as a whole. The first story is that um, before we go to the ceremony, he has to pick up a pair of swimming trunks because this, it's going to be hot and he has to wear them. And he goes into the Walmart, at a town closest to my First Nation. And while he's in there, I'm on the phone for about seven to 10 minutes talking to my stepdaughter. He comes out and he looks, shook. And I said, what's going on? And he said, I was asked like three times within five minutes whether or not I'd paid for these shorts. Bruce Puntip is an international sort of sensation for being able to produce activities and monies and build things that are beautiful. And because he was a small brown man in the town near to my First Nation, they thought he was a shoplifter. So I tried to disarm it as I do up here and said, hey, you want the First Nation experience? <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of his, his response to, ha ha. <laughs> but the things that are beautiful about that, that's sort of when I hear about people saying it's too dark and it's too disturbing and it's upsetting. Yeah, it's upsetting to live this life sometimes. It's upsetting to have that violence aimed at you. Mm. And to be able to tell that story is important. There's one other piece that I want to talk about. When he's in the community, one of our elders is talking to him, and she says to him, you see that tree out there? And he says, yeah. And she says, I saved that tree. They call it the grandmother tree, the kokum tree now. And he said, oh. Halfway through the day, halfway through the meals, he comes up to her and he says, why did you save that tree? Like, why did you want to save it? He was trying to really get into the, the cadence of the conversation and what does it mean to be somebody who saves a tree? Because there's a plot within the book about saving the earth and a tree. And she said, because I, I like to climb it. 
And I look at her, and then another sort of third of the day goes by, and he comes up to her and he says, how old were you when you climbed that tree? And she said, oh, I don't know, maybe six or seven. <laughs> but the lesson in that that I thought was so magnificent that he couldn't get anywhere else was that the timeline within the book, within Canada Reads, they told him it was circular and they couldn't get into it and they couldn't follow it. But he saw that the timeline had nothing to do with it. It was the geography that mattered. The timing, how old she was when it happened, was largely irrelevant to the story. And so when he drops a word bomb on Canada Reads, my sister is here and she told me this, that he said, uh, somebody spoke about the narrative being confusing and he said, if you require her to make it linear, you're going to colonize the narrative. And I thought, yay, elder. <laughs> <laughs> so we adopted him into the community broadly, but more specifically, he is my brother now and he calls me sister and we take care of each other in the way that relatives do. Mm. And the law that would govern my relationship with my sister governs my relationship with my brother too. Mm. Very interesting. Cherie, your relationship with Julie, uh, I watched that uh, turn into something more and more special with each passing week as well. Mm -hmm. um, so we did the same thing. You know, everyone comes to, well, I mean, I live in Toronto, so I went just to the CBC building, but everyone sort of congregated in Toronto. and. Um, you know, you're very nervous, you're very anxious, you're told you have to do things like photo shoots and like for writers, you're like, what the hell is that? Like, I don't even know how to hold a book anymore because it just feels so awkward. Like, uh, it's true. It's true. Right? You're like, oh, this is my face. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what to do. So you're, so you're very nervous and, and I, of course, knew that Julie Black was going to be my defender. Um, and so I heard her come into the building as many people did, because mm -hmm. she was singing at the top of her lungs. And the, the gist of it was, you're not going to take my marrow. And she's screaming it at you know, and I thought, I turned to the other uh, authors, and I'm like, that would be my defender. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I didn't get to see her. She was sort of whisked away, and we were you know, doing different things. And then uh, it was lunchtime. So we're all in this lovely room. We have beautiful food. And she comes in a few minutes late. And of, like, of course it's Julie Black, right? Like she's gorgeous, she's like six feet tall, she's just the powerhouse. Um, and she comes in and she sits down and I couldn't say hi to her because I had built up this anxiety all day, right? I was watching that. I was yeah. like, are they not gonna introduce yeah. me? <laughs> I love you, stop looking at me. <laughs> I could not do it. I sat there and I was like, okay, you're gonna do it now. No, you're not gonna do it now. And then you're going to do it now. No, she's eating. You're going to wait. So I did this for about 20 minutes. Uh, and finally, I was like, no, I'm just going to do it because now it's really awkward. Like, I'm making it worse. Um, so I went up to her and I said, like, hi, uh, are you Julie Black? Like, of course it's Julie Black. <laughs> are you Julie Black? And she says, yes. And I said, uh, I'm Cherie. And then I go to explain who I am, like we're not there for each other. And she stands up and she goes, Oh, I'm so happy to meet you. And she gives me this hug, and we immediately start crying. And, you know, I, it was odd. I'm like, this is weird. Like, what are we doing? But we just, it was, I think because, you know, knowing that we were there for each other, and just, I was so in awe, and of course, all my anxiety just pushed up, like, right out of my tear ducts. I don't know, maybe she was just feeling generous that day, but I was really, like, just such a relief to be with her. Um, and then we stayed in touch through the, the whole process. She's one of those lovely, horrific morning people uh, <laughs> who would, you know, text me halfway through her, like, 10-mile jog to be like, so I had this idea, and I'm like, 
I just got to sleep. What do you want, Julie? Um, but she, and she was very honest. Like, after the day wrapped, she would get in touch with me. She's like, did I do okay? Did I, I want to make sure I'm representing the, not just the book, but the community. Uh, we had a lot of discussions about what that meant um, to, be, to be an ally and, and to be family. Um, and and there was, there's a difference. And what happened over the time is she was an incredible ally from the beginning, and by the end, she was absolutely family. Well, so obviously Canada Reads uh, puts your books in front of a, a ton of eyes. Can I ask you about your impression of... Uh, uh, were you surprised in the way that your writing and Indigenous writing in general was received and how it was interpreted and, and consumed? Or was it more a thing like, yeah, I felt like when, when people heard about my book, they would read it, they would enjoy it, they would... Is there... I know you're more self-deprecating. I don't know if you're, uh, <laughs> you were surprised from day one, but I, which I also don't, I don't feel that is uh, justified. And, uh, the break was, so the break was the first book uh, by an indigenous author that I read. And, and I've said this before that, you know, Pakistani, Muslim, French speaking from Montreal, but. Nothing about me is represented in the break, and yet it was one of the most compelling things I've ever read. And it was just like, okay. I, can't, I can't stop reading. I hate that I have to, I hate that my body wants to sleep right now. I was really, you know, and I, uh, and since then it's just opened up this, you know, Tommy Orange and um, uh, Daryl McLeod recently I read in, in both your books. And uh, it's just been like, what a world, what a world that's opened up to me. So I... I Let's put the self-deprecating, let's <laughs> oh, put the brakes you. on the self-deprecating for this particular question. And uh, I just want to you know, know how you felt about how people received indigenous writing. For, I mean, I asked that from the perspective, for me it was like, I can't believe I, I, I didn't know about this for so many years, this, 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 this field, mm. you know? Mm. Well, I, I feel, it, and I, I don't mean to say this self-deprecatingly, but, but my, my book is about really intense things. So, and, I, and I've lived in this world for you know, 40 years, so I didn't expect it to be very well received. Um, because, and, that, and that's okay, because there, there's many of these, these books that I was taking influence from, uh, some of which are, they're legends to me but they might not have been well received in the greater audience. I'm thinking about um, Half-Breed, I'm thinking by Maria Campbell, I'm thinking about In Search of April Raintree by Beatrice Mosinier, Colleton Mosinier. Um, I'm thinking about um, anything Lee Miracle writes yeah. mm. because they're hard and they're, they're supposed to be hard. Um, I, I tried to cram as much humor and hope as I could, but we're talking about something that's horrific. And you can't get away from the fact that it's horrific, and you can't just ellipses it all away. Like you have to see it. And I wanted to be as gentle as I could. I wanted to be as cognizant of those that that as I could. Um, I fought for a trigger warning at the beginning of the book because I realized that it's many people like trigger warnings just so that they can position themselves and be prepared for something that might be hard. Um, and that's how I. <laughs> that's how I sold or not sold the book is the idea that this is going to be hard and it's going to be tough and it's supposed to be because it's that's that's truth before this you know beautiful reconciliation registered trademark there's a big truth that happens and some people some of us are not done saying that yet 
So, and, and that's okay. I think everyone should be encouraged and listened to when they need to sell, tell their truth. That being said, I've had, I've been blown away by this amazing reception. Um, I just, the way people have taken into their hearts and they have like, um, you know, compelled to read the whole thing and just reading the book, I've gotten nothing but love, which is a great way to be able, and I wish everyone telling their truth could receive so much love um, because that's, that's what we need. We need to do, we need to be listening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, the first review I ever read was on Goodreads. Oh, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> what a, what a knee-jerk reaction to uh, just the name. I don't read them at all anymore, but the only sort of thing that I remember from was, I really wanted to like this book. Oh, <laughs> And no. I thought, well, maybe I didn't write it for you. Like, that, that's okay, that's all right if it's not you. And I think that part of me believed along the whole way. Like, I, my experience was a long-term experience of gathering stuff and putting it all together. And I never really thought about what would happen. I thought about, oh, what if my mom sees this? Mm -hmm. oh, oddly moved. What if my mom sees this? What if my auntie sees this? What if people who are somehow represented within the work picture themselves within it? What that would do? And I had a balancing act where I thought, uh, a lot of the time I really thought, I want to write the book that I wish I'd found on the shelf when I was 12 years old. Mm. And so uh, when uh, going through the editorial process, when I heard part of the team, and I had a magnificent patient team who sat and asked hard questions about a lot of things, but some of the things they would ask me would be, uh, is it, you know, it's, it's difficult for this editor to conceive of two uncles being that violent towards a child. And I said, difficult for who? Like I, I had a sort of resounding piece where I didn't feel like I was defending the work or defending my life, but I was trying to tell the story in a way that would matter to 12-year-old me. Mm. And then when this happens, this sort of beautiful explosion where it gets placed into the world, that stuff, when I joke about Canada Eats, that stuff that you use to protect yourself along the way before the story became fiction or before mm. you put it on the page mm. um, no longer works. Mm. And I have no complaints. I've, I often say to people who say, I really wanted to like this book <laughs> if they couldn't enjoy it, I say, that's just fine, it's not for you. Put it on a bus, mm. drop it in a park, leave it at a library, donate it to a library. And in mm. fact, when um, at that lunch when Bruce Poontip said, we're gonna win, um, Wab Canoe was there at the time, and Wab Canoe said, you know that if you win, every First Nations school in the country gets a copy of your book. And I had never heard that. I don't, I don't know that that's factual this, from mm. that point. Not that he's lying, but that might have been his experience. <laughs> he's a politician now, you know. <laughs> he was a politician then, too. <laughs> the idea that it would end up on those shelves was really important to me and I became ambitious and competitive in a way that I didn't know I could be about books because mm -hmm. <laughs> I wanted those kids to have it on the shelf. Mm -hmm. But the loveliness of having, I can tell you, I was walking in a bookstore, no, I was in a gift store in Ottawa a week ago and somebody said to me, are you Tracy Lindbergh? 
which you gotta do your hair every day, you can't just walk out. <laughs> <laughs> but also when I first moved to Algonquin Territory, we saw somebody reading Birdie walking across a bridge. Wow. And I just, I started crying. That, mm. Who has that experience? And this is because of Canada Reads. There would have been pockets of people who picked it up and found it and it became a beloved part of their library. But it became part of a conversation at a time when the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's call to actions were released two days before my book. And, Yay, genocide. <laughs> <laughs> but the conversations were starting to become mm -hmm. public, difficult conversations. And I think that the stuff that is shared within the work that we do, the work that we've written, is that we are talking about really difficult things, sometimes with a stiff jaw and sometimes with a soft tongue. Mm. And I've been honored to find it in hospital libraries. I've been honored to find it in the hands of people who I would say would never have picked up an Indigenous theme book before. Mm -hmm. And I know that's because of the work that Maria Campbell did. I know that's because of the work that Lee did. I know that's because mm -hmm. of the work that people did to be able to get us into the room. So mm -hmm. I'm thankful for that every day too, in addition to Kanda Reads. It's that Indigenous rights people were writing before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, when I, when I started writing the, the story, it, was, it started off as a short story I was asked to contribute to an anthology of uh, speculative writing. Um, and I tell the story, you know, I initially said no, because I don't write science fiction and speculative uh, fiction, or I didn't. Um, and then the uh, editor said, okay, that's fine, but just so you know, like, Eden Robinson is contributing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, if all the cool Indians are doing it, fine, I'll, I'll write something. So, so I looked it up and I, 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 to see exactly what you know, speculative fiction was, and it was you know, looking at the future, and so it's either utopian or dystopian. I'm a pessimist and I'm indigenous, so I went with dystopian. Um, and, and I looked at dystopian fiction and it was talking about surviving an apocalypse or life after an apocalypse. And it was truly the moment where I realized this was going to be uh, the most, at the same time, the most difficult and the easiest story that I could write. It was difficult because it was going to hold a lot of truth. Uh, and it was going to be easy because everything that we write is post-apocalyptic. We have survived our apocalypse. Yeah? Our world was taken. <laughs> Even when we, and Rebecca Roanhorse uh, talks about this, um, you know, that when she looks at sort of this idea of the zombie apocalypse, right? Zombies, what do zombies want? Well, they come for your brains, they come for your head. And the early apocalypse for us was, you know, there was a scalping uh, law that was, that was enacted and, and people got paid for bringing in Indian scalps. So literally we had all of these people who had never been on our land before that we couldn't understand who were coming for our heads. So it's the same sort of idea of running and not knowing uh, what's going to take you. And so it was, it was um, truly a Trojan horse of a book. Um, for me, all I wanted to do was talk about that, that initial survival, the ways in which we, we not just survived but thrived, the ways in which our, our ancestors carried our, our language, our teachings, our history, and largely carried them within story to make sure that they would be here for us. They knew no matter what that we one day, that one day we would be here, that we would carry these stories and that we would share them. 
Um, and so it was taking the past and moving it very slightly into the future. So the book is this sort of, you know, dystopian future look at the apocalypse, but this, the story is about residential school. That's it. it and, and the conversation changed so enormously because I spent a lot of time uh, in schools and particularly working with First Nations uh, Métis youth and um, talking about our past. I mean, the last school closed in 1996, so I'm not talking about ancient history. Um, talking about it, people, particularly Canadians, became very defensive, right? Like, we, we don't want to talk about it. Let's move forward. Let's move forward. So I said, okay, we'll move forward. I'll, I'll put this book 30, 50 years in the future, but I'm just going to tell the story of the past. And what's happened, your kids, your grandkids, your nieces and nephews, I go into those schools now, and they say to me, I would never let this happen. And I say, I'm so happy that you would never let this happen again. And it allows us to have a conversation in a good way because, you know, we're running towards something and we're running together, hopefully. And, and I came into it from that pessimistic place, from this dystopian understanding. Um, but, you know, now that Canada Reads has opened up the gates, and truly, I mean, before Canada Reads, I had won a couple of awards, including the Governor General's. And, you know, I still wasn't on the tables, you know, the, the coveted tables in Indigo, where you go in and there's like candles and books you must buy. <laughs> I couldn't get on the damn candle table. Um, and until Canada Reads came along and then, you know, Canada Reads was kind of like, this is how I feel like it went. Indigo was like, mm, I'm not sure what we're, maybe we'll put a few of them. And I feel like Canada um, reads, like the CBC was like, you will put all these books out. In my head, you guys are superheroes, right? Like, <laughs> this is how it's going to be. That's a, that's a Tara Mora impersonation. <laughs> like a cape, a cape flying out, oh, like, yeah. you will champion Captain all Canada. these books. <laughs> Doesn't matter if they're difficult. And suddenly it was there, right? It was on the table. And so more of these people who I thought there was no chance of us being family, I really did, I really did. I'm like, this is not gonna happen. Um, and here I am, you know, being in this position where I'm, you know, 43 years old, I've uh, I come from a community that was relocated three times. Um, you know, my, my grandmother suffered a, a abuse, my aunties and uncles weren't allowed in town because they were indigenous um, and they were attacked quite brutally. And I'm at this place now where I can sit on the stage with my sisters and I can say, oh my God, I'm kind of hopeful. And I think that's because something like Canada Reads came along and got the book into the hands of more people um, who could read our stories and, and, and hold them in a good way. And they're difficult, right? But, but trust that at no point in our stories do we leave you alone. Mm -hmm. We walk through these worlds, these are our worlds, and, and we just, just come with us, right? We're not gonna leave you alone. Sherry Dimeline is a Métis author and editor whose award-winning fiction has been published and anthologized internationally. Her first book, Red Rooms, was published in 2007, and her novel, The Girl Who Grew a Galaxy, was released in 2013. In 2014, she was named the Emerging Artist of the Year at the Ontario Premier's Award for Excellence in the Arts, and became the first Aboriginal writer-in-residence for the Toronto Public Library. Her book, A Gentle Habit, was published in August 2016. The Marrow Thieves has won the Governor General's Literary Award and the Kirkus Prize. It is a finalist for the White Pine Award, 
was named to the Globe and Mail Top 100 and was selected for CBC's Canada Reads. Katarina Vermette is a Métis writer from Treaty 1 Territory, the heart of the Métis Nation, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Her first book, North End Love Songs, The Muses Company, won the Governor General's Literary Award for Poetry. Her NFB short documentary, This River, won the Coup de Coeur at the Montreal First Peoples Festival and a Canada Screen Award. Her first novel, The Break, is the winner of three Manitoba Awards and the Amazon.ca First Novel Award, and it was a finalist for the Governor General's Literary Award for Fiction, the Rogers Writers Trust Fiction Prize, and CBC Canada Reads. Tracy Lindbergh is a citizen of Asiniwichi Neyu Nation, Rocky Mountain Cree, and hails from the Kelly Lake Cree Nation community. She is an award-winning writer for her academic work and teaches Indigenous studies and Indigenous laws at two universities in Canada. She sings the blues loudly, talks quietly, and is next in a long line of argumentative Cree women. Birdie, her first novel, was one of Apple's best books for June and earned Tracy a spot on CBC's list of writers to watch. Live Mike is produced by the Toronto Public Library. Gregory McCormick is the executive producer, with technical production by Michelle DeMarco, communications support from Sumaya Ahmed and Mabel Ho, and live AV by Jennifer Casper and Mesfin Basisu. Music is by Jairus Khan, and I'm George Panayotu. Thanks so much for listening.